Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all. Thank you all for gathering here this morning. Uh, And as I say every week, thank you for bringing the church into a YMCA gymnasium. I'm really grateful that you're here, that you've chosen to spend some time with us this morning. And if I have not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Jamie. It is one of my great privileges in life to serve here as one of the pastors at Crosspoint. Uh, And it's a great joy of mine that I get to open up God's word with you all this morning. And we are continuing uh, this series, this Advent series called Waiting for Our King, all right? And every week we've kind of started this way and uh, today is gonna be no different to just make sure we get a clear understanding of what do we even mean by Advent, all right? Because sometimes we don't necessarily, we might hear that term thrown out there, like what does that actually mean? And what is this season to press into? And the idea of Advent simply means arrival or this, this breaking in. So there's this season, it's sort of a heightened anticipation. And so it's this, yes, it's an opportunity to look at the birth of Jesus. We'll gather in this space uh, tomorrow night, 5.30 p.m., just praying God does some powerful and marvelous things here in our midst as we celebrate the birth of Christ. But Advent is more than simply kind of the countdown to the birth of Christ, because we already know that that did happen, all right? It's really this season to press in and anticipate and long for and pray for the second coming, the second arrival, as we wait for our King Jesus to come back. And he's not coming back as an infant the next time around, like he's coming back as a victorious warrior king to come to set everything right. And so in Advent, it's this anticipation, it's this longing for the second coming, the second arrival, and it's an opportunity for us to not simply skip ahead to the the joy and be like, oh, cool, Jesus is here, but it's also this invitation, I would say, to press into the ache. So it's about anticipation and arrival, but there's an ache, isn't there? Like there's an ache that we feel, that there's things in your life right now that are, that are, man, it's just, maybe it kept you up last night, or there's a heaviness, there's a weariness, all right? Let me give you sort of a snapshot of what um, Advent might be like. I was driving yesterday. I mean, it was just a gorgeous day, wasn't it? Yesterday, just absolutely beautiful. It was just, you know, one of those times where you're like, oh, th- so this is why we live in Florida, okay? Um, not in July, but like right now. And so just driving back, I went to go get, uh, get a haircut, make sure I had my Christmas haircut done, right? And had them add a little gray in there. That's all added, right? And so, um, I'm driving back and I'm, I'm coming up towards Lakemont. I'm on Glenridge, kind of passing Glenridge uh, Middle School, all right? And I've got the windows down in my truck and I've got Christmas music playing, all right? Up until this point, I, for whatever reason, I hadn't played a lot of Christmas music, but I was like, man, I was like feeling that sort of Christmassy sort of spirit. I had one of my favorite Christmas albums on. Um, this is King's Kaleidoscope. I commend it to you. It's a fantastic Christmas album. All right, I'm not going to sing it because as some of you know, my biggest fear is that my mic is on while Josh and the team are up here leading worship, right? Like you don't want to hear me sing, but yesterday, windows were down. I'm at this traffic light. I'm waiting and I am just belting out this song that's called All Glory Be to Christ, all right? Now, it doesn't sound good, the, the, the recording sounds good. I sound like an animal that's being tortured when I sing, right? But like, in this moment, I'm just singing this song, all glory be to Christ, and unfortunately, it's even a very uh, subtle instrumental song. It's more acapella, which just makes me sound even worse, but I, I didn't care. I was just like, it's beautiful, it's almost Christmas, this is just great, and just sort of having this experience, this moment, and it, on the one hand, it's like, oh, this is just, everything seems sort of glorious. And then, there was this 
piercing sound and it just kind of broke through and I couldn't hear the music anymore. And as I looked ahead, rounding the corner was this medical emergency vehicle and the sirens are blaring and it is just booking it down Glen Ridge way. And it goes kind of whizzing past me, just zooming past. And as my windows were down, it was in that moment of like, oh my gosh, that's really, really loud. And it drowned out all the music and it drowned out. And it was this moment, I would say, of a good snapshot of Advent glorious and amazing, and yet what was that siren? Well, it's somebody responding to the brokenness in the world. Somebody might have gotten hurt, injured. Maybe somebody is needing to be rushed to the hospital. Like it's this, it was this reminder that all is not well in the world and that we still live in this time where we anticipate, we long for the second coming of Jesus. And even though I had this music playing, it was in that moment as well that the siren, like it, it drowned that out for a moment. And isn't that true in our life? Like you might feel like celebrating some days and other days you're like, man, just the noise, the pain, the brokenness, that seems to be the thing. And it's like, it just pierces through whatever even joy you might be experiencing. I mean, now the loud noise is dominating. And Advent is this sort of invitation to, to not try and put the windows up and block that all out, but to just be, okay, How do we embrace this, that both things are simultaneously happening? We celebrate it's glorious, and yet there's pain. And so what I want to look at this morning is this idea of the promise that stands and how God is inviting us to trust him in the midst of pain and brokenness. And so this gives us an idea of like what this Advent season is. And as I've said each week, I want us to think through like, I don't know what the emergency medical vehicle sort of, you know, in your life is, but like if there was something coming to your house right now, like what is it coming to bring rescue? Like Advent is sort of this invitation to examine, like what has got you in its grip of anxiety or fear that maybe there's a brokenness in a relationship. Maybe there's a brokenness with just how you uh, understand even who God is or who you are in relation to him. I don't know what is weighing on you, but Advent is this, this opportunity to pray, Lord Jesus, will you break in? I need this fresh arrival and awakening here and now. And so you heard it read a few moments ago. Isaiah 40 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, and as you can see in the upper right-hand corner, I forgot to put the page number. So there's a question mark there. Um, I meant to go back and edit that. But anyway, um, there are paperback Bibles on the back tables there. You can find the t- book of Isaiah in the table of contents, all right? Um, if you don't have a Bible, though, I'd encourage you to get your phone out. Go to cpwp.life and swipe over. You'll see a card that says message notes. Anything that is up on the screen that, this morning from the text uh, to different quotes, things like that will be listed there. And I want to press in. This passage is going to help us see the promise that stands. In the midst of brokenness and of pain, there's this glorious reminder that the Lord gives to his people thousands of years ago that he still speaks over us this morning, that God is on the move, that God is at work. And even though there's a noise from the outside that's kind of piercing through and sometimes causes us to not hear as clearly as we would like about the promises of God, the promises still stand. There's not a problem with the promise. Sometimes there's a problem with our hearing of it. And so I want to look at this, Isaiah 40. Let's look at the first two verses. It says this in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so these words are spoken. If we look at this and we just kind of, we've been journeying through different selections out of the book of Isaiah, you got to ask for a moment, like, okay, what's the, the context? Like, what is actually happening here? 
And in this moment, it is Isaiah who's gotten a vision of what is coming for the people of God, that there's going to be a nation that is threatening, that is going to haul God's people off into captivity. It's the Babylon, the Babylonians, all right, this nation of Babylon. And so he's looking ahead and he's speaking this word. He's saying, this is coming for you, all right? There's gonna be brokenness. They're gonna destroy your homes. They're gonna kill many of your loved ones. Many of you are gonna be hauled off as slaves, but here's what I need you to know is that the Lord has not given up on his people. He sees you in your pain. His promises still stand and that he is at work somehow in the midst of difficulty and of darkness and of pain. It's why he says, and these words again, comfort, comfort what? My people. God still refers to his people, even though they've disobeyed, even though they basically said, I don't want you as our king. We wanna do our own thing. We wanna pursue our own purposes. And he said, if you do that, there's going to be consequences. And the consequences came and God still doesn't give up on his people. And that is glorious good news for you and me because we are people that are constantly rebelling against our king. Oh, I think I know best. I want to do that. I'll give God a little bit of my life, but not complete lordship. And I love that the Lord speaks these words. He's saying, hey, go to my people and remind them, comfort them with the fact that they're my people, that they belong to me. I need you to hear that this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of what is going on in your life, the darkness, the pain, the just the loud noises that are screaming at you, that all is not right, the Lord says, I, I want to bring comfort. It's this image almost, if you can picture the Lord got stooping down and sort of getting down on his knees, maybe like as a child who's fallen down, who's gotten injured, and just tenderly speaking words of comfort and binding up our wounds. It is the great picture of what we have in the Christmas season, of the incarnation of God condescending to us to bring this comfort. And he says, you're my people. And so speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that the hardship one day is going to actually be over, and that her iniquity, that is paid for, that is pardoned. We'll come back to that in a little while. But that is the picture that we have. And I want to just ask you this morning, like, do you hear the Lord speaking tenderly to you? My prayer for all of us this week is that we would actually hear that voice. Like I said, it sometimes gets drowned out amidst the sirens, the blaring noises that sort of compete, and they're just like, wow, that thing seems to be the dominant noise in my life. There is a voice of the Lord who's speaking comfort to you, who wants to meet you with whatever it is you brought in here this morning. Maybe you're like, I don't know. I don't feel like I brought anything in. It's pretty good. Okay, but there will be difficulty. And in those moments, don't forget that the Lord speaks comfort to you. He speaks tenderly to you. He moves toward you as his people, that you belong to him. In his commentary on this great passage in the book of Isaiah, Ray Ortland said it this way, and I thought this was incredibly helpful. He says, God's deepest intention toward us is comfort. His deepest intention toward us is comfort. How could it be otherwise? If the focus of Christianity were our sins, our future, it would just absolutely shut down. But in fact, Christianity is all about the saving grace of God. He overrules our stupidity with his own absolute pardon through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so we ask, do we sin? And the answer, of course, is yes. Well, do we suffer for it? Yes. Is that where God leaves us? No. When his discipline has done its good work, God comes back to us with the overflowing comfort. See in God not a frown but a smile, not distance but nearness. My prayer for all of us is that we would experience the nearness of God. When you 
picture God? Do you picture him with this frown and that he's disappointed and frustrated with you? Or do you see a God that actually wants to move towards you, that wants to bring comfort, that there's actually a, a smile that God has? And it's not because you're awesome or I'm awesome. It's because he knows what his son Jesus has done for us. And if you've accepted his grace, if you're living in light of that, that grace, it's this beautiful picture of just how, how the Lord sees you. And it's this father that's welcoming us in who wants to speak words of comfort. And he's got a promise that stands. He's like, don't listen to all the noise that's out there. I need you to hear my voice. And so what do you need to hear from the Lord this morning? I don't know the particulars of your situation, but I'm trusting that the spirit is alive at work. And when we open up God's word that is living and active, like it's gonna cut through, it's gonna pierce your heart and my heart in the ways that God intends for it to do. So we need to look at how this passage continues, though, because there's words that are spoken then about, like, what is our posture? Like, what is this idea of preparation that we see here in verses three to five? All right, look with me at this. It says, a voice then cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I think it's even worth noting for a moment. This voice is crying, where? Like, out in the wilderness. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, that, the desert, the wasteland, the wilderness, like that feels like your reality right now. And we've got a God that moves toward us in that space. He's not a God that's looking for you to get everything all together before he wants to connect with you, that our God moves toward us. So there's a voice, voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Like God is coming to visit, the king is coming to this place. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is how a king would have been welcomed in the ancient world. They literally would have sometimes even prepared new roads because that dirt path and that sort of thing was not enough for the king. We have to get something ready for our king. The king is on the move. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that God's word actually stands. So in this, there's this idea of prepare the way of the Lord. So what are we to actually do with that? What does preparation actually look like? And so some of you have heard me reference this. I know we've definitely talked about it. If you're in a community group with my wife and I, we've talked about this uh, some, but there's this, this idea, right, on the one hand of just anytime somebody's coming to your home, like we hosted the Christmas staff Christmas party recently, and like, so, hey, there was an extra measure of like getting the home ready, all right, um, things like that. So maybe you've had some of that as of late, like you've had people into your home, or just so you know, like if you went to somebody else's home, they probably, you know, had an extra level of stress just getting things ready, all right? Um, and so there's that idea of like you're just scrambling to get everything together, there's a joke in our household, um, because some of you know my, my background has come from Western Michigan, which is the land of the Dutch, all right? And the Dutch are known particularly as sort of being clean, orderly people by and large, all right? And so oftentimes what happens this time of the year, all right, when it's nasty and gross up in that part of the world, friends from Michigan will want to come down and they will visit my parents and they'll visit us and they'll want to stop by, by the house. And so in that moment, they're like, oh, they're going to come by. Um, and I will literally utter the phrase, the Dutch are coming, the Dutch are coming, right? Um, and so like we go on this mad dash, this scramble to just pick everything up. It's not maybe perfectly clean, but it's at least presented. Things are shoved in the closet, whatever. And it's kind of been this, this joke, but my wife will attest. She's like, oh yeah, if there's family or friends like from Michigan coming, like Jamie actually does something around the house, right? So there's this moment of like, they're coming, all right? Now, 
we can look at that with this passage and maybe on the one hand read that. It's like, okay, it's talking about preparation. We're getting ready for the king to come. And it's like, okay, we gotta clean ourselves up. We've gotta get it ready. We've gotta make a good impression. But that is not what this is talking about. There is that great tendency, this lie of religion that will say, okay, you gotta get ready. You've gotta do all this up. You've gotta make yourself presentable. This passage is referenced by John the Baptist. All right, let me read this out of Matthew 3. He references Isaiah 40. He is the one who is out there as this voice out in the wilderness. He identifies himself as the one who has gone before the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus is coming on the scene, and it says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This idea of preparation here that I believe John the Baptist, John the baptizer, what he's calling people to is a posture of humility, a willingness to repent. It's not a prepare in the sense of get ready, the king is coming over and you better present, you better be everything spick and span and you gotta have everything put together. No, no, no. It's, do you understand and are you willing to admit that's what repentance is? It's a turning in a new direction. Like, I'm an absolute mess. And no matter how much effort I put into this, here's the crazy thing. If we try and clean ourselves up in our own efforts, we actually just get dirtier in the process because we're making the story about us and we're moving further and further away from God's intentions. And so what it's talking about here, this preparation, if we're gonna receive what this king has for us, Do we humbly submit and say, you know what? I'm an absolute mess. I'm a wreck. Do we understand what Jesus was speaking of? Blessed are the poor in spirit. I can't do this. I cannot clean myself up on my own. I need the cleansing work of this king, of this Jesus who's come on the scene. So that is what it's speaking of. And then what I love with this, where it continues in verses four to, to five, It says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. I don't believe that it's necessarily just talking about like, oh, the ground, like these hills are literally going to be leveled. I think there's this picture here of the king that's on the move and he's bringing his glory to bear everywhere. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, verse five says, and all flesh shall see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You can trust this, there's a guarantee here. God's going to get his glory. The king is coming triumphantly in glory. And when it speaks of this reality, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, it's a picture of a God who comes and I believe he's bringing conviction and he's bringing comfort. He's bringing conviction to those that might be full of themselves. You might think of this as the self-righteous, the Pharisee, the religious leader who doesn't think that they actually need the grace of God, that they have been able to clean up their home just enough to welcome in. Surely the Lord would come and love to spend time with me because I'm amazing and look at all that I've done and they've bought into that lie and they need to be humbled, they need to be brought low. And this word speaks to that person. Maybe that's you here this morning and I'm praying that the spirit might convict and that's me this morning in many ways thinking, oh, I've got this figured out. I can look down my nose at somebody else because they're not as clean as I am. Oh, they got those sins. Well, I don't have that sort of of thing. 
And so we need to be humbled, and yet there's also the king that comes, and it speaks of those that are really like in the valley, and it'll be raised up. It's those that are so brokenhearted, and they're discouraged, and they can't possibly think that God would have something for them. They're so beat down. You imagine what the people would feel like in exile as they've been hauled away from their homes, and they reflect back on these words that the prophet Isaiah spoke and saying, okay, but the Lord has not given up on you. He's still speaking words of comfort, even though you're away from anything that's comfortable. And the Lord wants to raise them up. If the posture, the preparation would be one of humility, I need you to lift me up. And the promise of our God and of our King is that he does that. He's bringing his glory. He's coming in. He's coming to set everything right. We can bank on that. But the way that we receive that is not in trusting in ourselves. It's in a posture of humility and of repentance that we need the glorious king to set everything right because we've made a mess of things. And in this space, there's a promise that is made here. Look at verses six to eight. It says this, a voice says, cry. And I said, well, what shall I cry? And we get these words that are spoken, that if we pay attention to this, there's a harsh reality in here, but it's one that we need to hear, and it's God's grace to us to give us verses six to eight. It says this, all flesh is grass. And so here's what needs to be declared boldly to anyone who will listen, even those that won't. Like, we all need to hear this. All flesh is grass, which he goes on to describe, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Another translation there is all its constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. And the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We'll look at this more in a moment, this contrast that's happening here between who we are and who God is in his word, all right? was reminded of this the other night. My wife and I, we, were, we started watching a, what is new to us. Now, I realize we're late in the game on this, all right? So there's this show that came out a few seasons ago called This Is Us. Any This Is Us watchers? You can raise your hand. Okay, a few of you, maybe. All right, so um, we were looking for a new show, um, and we're like, I don't know, this is on Hulu, and we'll, we'll check it out, all right? So we're, we're only five, six episodes in, something like, like that. And it was, I think it was in the fifth episode. Um, there is this character. Um, so if, whether you've seen the show or not, um, this guy, one of the brothers, his name's Kevin. Um, Kevin is a bit known more for his beauty than his brains, all right? Um, and he happens to be babysitting his little nieces one night, all right? And he is there with the nieces, uh, with their grandfather, who's, who's very ill, all right? And in the course of conversation, mom and dad, they're out enjoying their, their night away, um, and one of the little girls begins to ask, you know, their uncle Kevin, all right, um, about grandpa. I see grandpa's taking these pills. Is grandpa sick? Yeah, grandpa's sick. Is grandpa gonna die? And Kevin in that moment says, yeah, grandpa's gonna die. And they're like, oh, is he gonna die soon? And he's like, well, I wouldn't get too attached, all right? So there's this very comforting moment, right? He's got this exquisite wisdom, and the kids have these, like, these little kids this look on their eye, like, what in the world? And so and then he just tries to get himself out of this, and he just keeps talking. He should have just shut it down at that moment, right? But he keeps talking, and he's like, well, death is just natural. Like, we're all going to die. Like, I'm going to die? You're going to die, he says to the little girls. And they get this kind of look on their face, right? And then he's like, no, I mean, like, just, yeah, everybody's going to die. He's like, yeah, I'm going to die. You're going to die. Your mom and dad are going to die. And they're like, mom and dad are going to die, you know, as they're like away from, from home. And there's just this like moment. And he just doesn't know how to get out of the situation. Now, none of us should recommend that as what to do with little kids, all right, and how to be a good babysitter or anything like that. Like, that was not comforting words, all right? It, it reminds me a bit of, I don't know if you ever had this, like, you know, maybe growing up or you've heard this, like, 
prayer before bedtime. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, right? Every little kid's like, do not close my eyes, all right? Like, what in the world does that, that mean? Like, right before we tuck you in, like, hey, you might not wake up from this, all right? Like, it, how do we handle that? So I get for little kids for a moment, not helpful information to give. But for every adult, we need to think about death more than we do. And so this may not have been like babysitting 101, way to go, Uncle Kevin, all right? But the scriptures are reminding us and are very, very clear that we need to pay attention to what, like, you know, we're going to study the book of Ecclesiastes later in, the, uh, in 2019, all right? How everything is like this vapor. It's literally like, imagine like a puff of smoke, and there it is, and then it just kind of dissipates, and it's gone. Like, so many things that we pursue, and even our very lives themselves are like a vapor. And that's not meant to bum us out and discourage us and like, hey, can we go back to just kind of like a Merry Christmas kind of feel? What this is meant to remind us of, and that's what we see in these verses here, is this contrast and sort of the constancy, all right? Meaning there is our life, and then there is God and his ways and his purposes, the word of God. And all flesh, it says, the grass withers, the flower fades, which is how your life and my life is described, all right? Kevin wasn't speaking something that was untrue. Might not have been most helpful to those kids in the moment, but the Bible right now is communicating to you and to me that our flesh is like grass that withers and the flower that fades. It doesn't matter how much you work out. It doesn't matter how much spinach you eat, all right? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, like you're going to die and I'm going to die. Like that's the reality of the situation. In the Bible, like the God of the Bible loves us enough to communicate that to us so that we don't miss out on what ultimately matters. And he says the word of our God will stand forever. So there's something that lasts. So we gotta pay attention to that thing that lasts. There's these promises that the Lord makes. And his promise over and over and over again is that he loves his people and that he cares for his people. And he's provided a way for them to actually be in relationship with him, to be restored to their maker. That is the beauty of what we see in this text. And so the the word of the prophet is being spoken. is like, you need to communicate this clearly. If you try and do life on your own, you may spring up like a beautiful flower and it'll look good for a while. But as any of us know that you, you brought some flowers, maybe you brought some flowers to your wife and you left them there on the table and you can put some water in and that little mix that they give you to pour in there, but it doesn't last forever. Eventually they wither and they die and they're thrown out. And there's a harsh reality that even this Christmas season confronts us with, that there was a God who had to enter in because we were so messed up that we couldn't actually fix this thing on our own. But he steps in. He's like, the king is on the move. The king has come once as a little baby in this most unexpected way, and he's coming back. And the question before us is like, do you believe him? Do you believe the promises that stand? Do you believe that there actually is a God and that we're called to trust in him and to embrace his grace? Are you gonna try and do things on your own? That there's a promise that stands. And in this, there's an invitation then that we are called to praise, to proclaim, to proclaim the truths of what this promise is all about. Look with me at nine to 11. It says, go up to a high mountain O Zion, herald of good news. Do you picture this? Like, go find the highest point and unashamedly, boldly begin to proclaim the truth, to praise God for who he is and how he is at work. O Zion, herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. 
Don't cower, don't keep this to yourself, don't do this in a whisper, but with a voice of strength to be able to proclaim loudly, O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That there's this invitation here in light of who this God is and how he's on the move, even in the midst of pain and difficulty, and for the people that would have originally heard this, that would have been in tremendous suffering and exile, It's still the same invitation and words that we need to hear in our pain and our difficulty in this Advent season to go up on the mountain and to boldly proclaim for whoever will listen, we are not ashamed of this gospel. We need to proclaim it. We're gonna shout it with strength. We're gonna point people to Jesus. That's what we're seeking to do as a church, that people might actually know God, right? Like we want them to worship the God of the Bible, that we to have a relationship with him, to be freed from their slavery, to sin, to experience community, and then to be about this mission of seeking renewal to point more people so that more people actually would follow Jesus and know know his promises and that his word stands like here's an opportunity for us even in this advent season amidst the pain just to shout and to declare who God is behold your God verse 10 says behold the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him it means says he's got this strength in his arm and he's able to accomplish his purposes His reward is with him and his recompense before him, and he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So let's ask this. In this last kind of concluding section we're going to look at this morning, there's this call to praise that there's a God who's brought pardon, there's a God whose uh, word stands, a God that invites us, that the preparation is not about us cleaning ourselves up, but getting ready for him, for the king to come and set everything right. And I wanna ask us here, if there's this call to go up and to loudly shout this, like what reason do you and I have to praise? Because some of you brought in things this morning, you're dealing with incredibly difficult things. The last thing that maybe is on your mind is praise. Maybe you feel abandoned and rejected by God. Maybe you're like, I can't make sense of this. The last thing, and I'm not saying you're always gonna have the emotions that feel along, like go along with that, but there's this call and there's a reason for us to give praise to God regardless of circumstances. And we see it here in these verses. At the end of verse 10, near the end, it's talking about behold, the Lord comes with might. All right, so you get this picture, all right? and strength, and maybe many of you think of God in that way, like a lot of strength, but do you also see the tender care and compassion of how our Lord is described, what this king, how he's described? His reward is with him. What is that referring to? In studying this passage and seeing other commentators and things, there's this beautiful picture here, because we'll see it in verse 11 of the Lord as a shepherd and he's holding us as his sheep. The reward that is with him is us. Like he is on this mission to get us back. That Jesus came not just to stay as a little baby, but to live a sinless life, to ultimately go to the cross to die in your place and in my place. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He did it for the Father's glory and for your joy. That what is being spoken of here, thousands of years, like, like many, many years before Jesus coming on the scene is this like, hey, this king is gonna come and his reward is with him. He's looking ahead to what he's going to do. 
And then it describes him in verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That he cares for you as a good shepherd. And what we know of this good shepherd Jesus as the ultimate king that came on the scene is he wasn't just a shepherd that was willing to carry us as important as that is and as welcomed as that is and to speak tenderly to us and to bind up our wounds and to, to protect us and all of that. Jesus would describe himself in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd, he boldly declares. Just prior to this, he says, there's a thief, there's an enemy that comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What reason do we have to praise? What reason do we have to make these proclamations? What reason do we have to go up on the mountain, even in the midst of suffering, and boldly declare, behold our God, behold our King? What reason do we have to trust that Jesus is coming back? It's because ultimately this shepherd laid down his life for you and for me. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? Do you find joy in that? And I told you we'd come back to this, but if you look back up at the end of verse 2, there's this really kind of confusing line at first hand. It's talking about the pardon. It says, her iniquity is pardoned and that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And I'll tell you, honestly, when I first read that, it almost sounds like this, you know, these wicked people all right, are getting double for all their sins. Like they're gonna get double the punishment, but it's not talking about punishment there. It's talking about pardon. It's talking about this duality here, like there's, there's, there's two things that are taking place. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that's Jesus, all right? So he becomes our sin. He takes all of our sin and brokenness and rebellion. All the wrath that we deserve gets put on him, all right? So that's the first part of it. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. One of the great travesties for us as Christians is oftentimes we just see the first part and not the second. Think about pardon for a moment. Imagine that you've committed a crime, you're guilty of it, and you get thrown in jail, all right? And you're just gonna be in there for the rest of your days and then whoever it is, president or whoever, like they, they pardon you. And so you are actually let out. Now, you would celebrate that. You would rejoice in that, right? Yes and amen. That is amazing. This is undeserved grace. I can't believe that I've been given this pardon that I am now free, okay? And that would be amazing, all right? And many of us as Christians, we stop right there. We're like, okay, I've got that pardon. All right, Jesus has forgiven me. That's awesome. And yet, if you had been let out of jail and then you're trying to enter back into society, might it be possible that you would have a difficult time though sort of breaking free from what your past was in terms of what people knew? Like maybe you go back to your hometown and you're trying to get a job and people are like, yeah, I know you've been pardoned, but you did this crime, all right? Like they're not gonna trust you, all right? Maybe you're, you know, you're looking to start, like, build some friendships, relationships. People might be sort of standoffish towards you. Why? Well, I've got the pardon. Yeah, you're free. But there's this other aspect that just kind of follows you long. It follows you around for the rest of your days of, like, I don't know what to do with this. And the beautiful good news, why we can give praise, where it speaks of this double pardon, is that, yes, you've been set free, but also, 2 Corinthians 5, you get the righteousness of Jesus, 
And so now when you show up for that job interview, you don't have your resume and all and your you know, kind of rap sheet and all the things that you've done. You've got the resume of Jesus and it's spotless and he's got all the credentials and he gives it to you. When you're trying to start relationships and friendships and interactions with people, they don't see you and see you for your brokenness and sort of maybe don't trust you. It's this picture of like, no, no, there's the, you've been cleansed through the work of Jesus. You have the robes of Jesus that the Lord now sees you in that that's who you are. And for many of us as Christians, we only live with the first pardon in mind, not the second. And there's this beautiful picture. Why do we give praise? Double pardon. Not only do you not have to experience the wrath of God and praise God for that, but you've been given the righteousness of Jesus. That old part of your story, like you were buried with Jesus. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. Like that got put to death on the cross. And I know there's still struggle with sin in all of that until Jesus comes back and sets everything right. But your identity now, think double pardon. You have the righteousness of Jesus. How empowering is that? And so as we close here, let me encourage you in this because there is a call for us to praise. And it's not out of guilt. It's not, all right, go around and, and, and praise, you know, like you got to be a good Christian to do this. God invites us to praise because he knows that in that we actually experience joy in a whole new way. So what happens when he prays? Look at the words of C.S. Lewis, how he talks about this, and we'll close with this. He says, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. The praise of weather and of wines, of dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. Like he's just laying out this list, right? You fill in the blank for what it is that you praise, but there is something that you spontaneously praise. Like just get you talking about that thing and you can't shut up, right? Like there's those things, right? Now look what... Lewis says, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously, spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. So it's not just me talking about it. Now there's this invitation, and he says it this way, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise, and this is key, not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So here we have an opportunity in the midst of pain and of difficulty to look and say the promise stands and we're gonna praise our God. We're gonna praise our God that he is the good shepherd that laid down his life for us. We're gonna praise our God and our king for the double pardon. We're gonna praise our God and our king that he speaks tenderly over us words of comfort that the reward, like the thing that he prized was, was us. We're gonna praise him for that and we're gonna invite other people into it, not out of guilt and obligation, but because we want more joy. We are jealous for more joy. We will unapologetically go after more joy and the way we get that is by glorying in King Jesus. Jesus, you're amazing, you are glorious. And when we praise him, then we invite other people in, like the way we might do, like we're like, oh, wasn't that meal amazing or that movie or that college football play? We do that all the time and here's the ultimate thing. Isn't Jesus glorious? And so we're gonna give glory and praise to King Jesus right now. We're gonna take some time to pray, to reflect. We're gonna give this morning. If you're a guest, don't feel any obligation to give. We're gonna sing praises. We're gonna experience the Lord's Supper, this communion meal that he's given to us. Before we do that, I just wanna give you a moment. Quiet your hearts. 
spend some time in reflection and in prayer. If at any point during this time or through the rest of the service, we'll have leaders back in the back corners. You see the signs that say need prayer. Go seek one of our prayer team members out. Ask them to pray with you and for you. You might not even have the words. You might just gotta go up there and say, just pray for me. What can I pray for? I don't even know, just pray. And that is totally okay. But wanna give you some time. What is it that you need to confess? Maybe what has been that loud noise that you're allowing to drown out the praise and glory of God? Maybe where have you failed to believe that the promise actually does stand? Where have you maybe been stuck? And yeah, I get the idea that I've been pardoned, but this double pardon, you haven't understood that or connected those dots, that you have the righteousness of Christ. And then we get to celebrate together. So I'd encourage you to spend some time in prayer celebrating it. Tell Jesus what you're thankful for. And then we're gonna do that together collectively through, through song, through giving, through communion, but I'll give us more instruction on that in a moment. So let me, let me pray and give us some time to reflect here. Father, thank you for your words that were spoken thousands of years ago that still speak to us today, that remind us of your goodness, your care, your compassion. And Jesus, thank you that you are the king that we wait for, that you have promised that your word stands. You're gonna come back and you're gonna set everything right. And in the meantime, will you the power of your spirit allow us to be people that would praise you that is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity and we get this invitation to start that now and as we do that we experience such great joy as we give you glory as other people witness that god i pray that they would be drawn to it that we as a church family here would have a winsome witness as we as we praise you um that people might come to experience that for themselves, the, the joy that's offered through experiencing your grace. So Father, thank you that you hear us now. I pray that you'd hear our prayers of confession. Holy Spirit, lead us into repentance. Bring that conviction that's needed, but then also apply the truths of the gospel to comfort us, to remind us of the pardon that we've received. So hear our prayers, God. We pray that you would get your glory and that we, as your people, would experience great joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.